tonight I want to kind of lay a foundation for the weeks ahead and uh, begin to just lay out this concept and, and this truth about the Holy Spirit. Jesus introduces in this passage the concept of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit uh, is going to do in our lives. Jesus, Jesus declared that he was going to send a helper and uh, that that is the Spirit. So he's going to the Father. So here we see the Father. He's going to the Father. So we've got the Son going to the Father and then sending the Holy Spirit. Now I'm not going to fully restate the doctrine of the Trinity tonight. We've talked about that uh, numerous times over the last few weeks. But just just a, a brief restatement. There's one God somehow made up of Father, Son, and Spirit. God has always been and always will be in all parts, for lack of a better language, one. They've all always been. They've all always will be. And they are all one, unified. They are in creation, through all creation, above all creation, outside of all creation, dependent on nothing, fully self-existent. For the finite, we have a hard time comprehending the infinite. And for some of that, we just have to sit back and say, it's just bigger than us. He's just bigger than us. This whole thing is just bigger than us. And we just accept that he's bigger than us. So I, I, I will start with the belief that you accept that much by faith tonight. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's work in our lives today. And there's a lot of things, a lot of work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives today. Jesus said it is to the advantage of all mankind that he goes to heaven where he will be seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father interceding for us in our weaknesses as one who has walked on this earth in the flesh and that, that in that time he will send the Holy Spirit who will come to be our comforter, who will come to be our helper, who will come to be our instructor. Now, the first work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of mankind is read in this passage. The Spirit comes to convict, to move upon sinful man's hearts and bring a revelation of truth that again in our in the moments of our life may be hard for us to see. Now there are three parts to this process. The first part of this conviction 
is that he reproves us or admonishes us. The Spirit moves in our heart to make us know and feel and sense that what we are doing or what we have done is wrong. He reproves us. The Spirit does this by, through the Word of God, through the Bible, and He does it in our conscience. He reproves us. We take that thing when we're a little kid that we shouldn't take, and in our spirit we sense the reproving of God. We do something in our lives, even as adults, and the Spirit speaks to us, and we feel dirty because of it, or we feel convicted, we feel embarrassed, we feel like we failed. There's an element of guilt that comes into our life in that moment. The Spirit also uses ministers, pastors, teachers, evangelists, speakers to admonish by office, and by them the Spirit reproves. So a culture may have led me to a point where I no longer can even, I'm, I'm hardened, I'm calloused, I'm in a culture that has accepted something as normal that is sin, and God raises up human voices to speak into that culture and say, this is wrong. But when they speak that, it's still absolutely necessary for the Spirit to reprove. Otherwise, the voice just gets ignored as bizarre, as, you know, ancient or whatever. We need that voice in America today. What we have is a callousing of the heart of America today, an acceptance of sin today that would seep into the church unless clear voices stand up and say, this is wrong, and the Spirit backs it up. The Spirit moves. Our testimonies and our lives are used by the Spirit to reprove. This is why, one of the reasons why it's so important that we live non-hypocritical lives, we live biblically founded lives, we live lives of the truth. Otherwise, we live before men the enemy will make sure they see our hypocrisy and they will say there's nothing to it. They'll dismiss it. So sometimes that happens when you are living in a, when we live in a very sin-accepting world, sometimes it's just our lifestyle. Our lifestyle brings reproof. The way we, the things we choose to not do, maybe for the sake of holiness, 
that other people want to encourage us to do. And all of a sudden they become evangelists for those things that are sinful. And they begin to say, well, why can't you do that? Go ahead. Come on. Everybody else is doing that. And they, and they, be, they, they, they become a, a people trying to get you to give it. Why? Because your life brings the power of the Holy Spirit that reproves them for doing it. And they feel better when you go along with them. And it becomes important for us to not go along with them so that the Holy Spirit will move in their life. Now I'm going to tell you, when you do that, people will resent it when a minister speaks the truth, there will be people who resent it. There have been people who've come up to me over the years at Calvary, and I had made a statement in a service about morality, and they come up and they challenge me. And I will say to them, listen, all I ever tell you to do is what the Bible says. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter whether I would say it's okay or it's not okay. What matters is what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. Some people accept that conviction and begin to repent and begin to struggle with that thing in their life and begin to try to work to overcome it. And yet I've had others who've walked out the door and I've never seen them again. Because they don't want to be told that something's wrong. And yet it is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us of wrong things. And it's our responsibility to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit so He can convict us of wrong things and so that we can hear His voice. But remember, as they reject Christ, they will, there will be some who will also reject the messenger, whether that's you in an office, you as a neighbor, you as a relative, you as a minister, that they will reject it because they don't want to feel that conviction. They are comfortable in their sin. The next part of this reproving is as the heart is stay, stays open to God, as my heart stays open to Him and to the reproving of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's role is to convince me that it's sin to absolutely bring it to bear in my life. This is a, a law term and speaks to the office of a judge and summing up the evidence and setting a matter in true light. Brings revelation to it. And he shall convince that this is sin. He shall put to silence the voice of the flesh the Holy Spirit will put to silence the voice of the enemy. The Holy Spirit will put to silence 
the culture that defends sin, that sin are, is right, and we become not only convicted by it, we become so convinced of it that we don't want to do it anymore. Uh, one of the men that I've met in the last few weeks, that, that's, a, that's a pastor, he was telling me his, his testimony about how as a, a young man he was living with his girlfriend and God moved in his life and he became convicted of his sin. He'd, he'd grown up in church, became convicted of it, became convinced that he wanted to turn from sin. And he went to his girlfriend and he said to her, basically, oh, I can't do this anymore. Uh, I'd love for you to come to church with me. I'd love for you to uh, discover Christ with me. I'd love for us to discover our future together in Christ. And she looked at him and said, I'm not into that. Not into that at all. Don't want any part of that. Well, he was so convinced, he was so committed by the power of the Holy Spirit by that time that he was able to look at her and say, then we're going different ways. Now, that's a hard thing to do. But there comes a point in our lives when the Holy Spirit convinces us so completely that even friendships get separated. Relationships get strained and at times separated because we can no longer go down that road of where they're at because we are convinced in our spirit that this isn't good and we look at it and don't even long for it anymore by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now note, note this. Convincing work is the Spirit's work. He can do it effectively. No one else can. Have you ever tried? I've tried. You can't do it. We can't do it. We don't have that power. We can open the discussion, but it is the Spirit only that can open the heart. We can, we can point it out. We can say, you know what? I, I think this is biblically wrong. You know what? I, I think where you're going here is not the right way. I, you know, I, hey, I, I used to live that way too. I understand what you're doing. I, I, I don't think that's the best path. That, that's about as far as we can go because as soon as we start going into, you shouldn't do that anymore, it feels like legalism plopping down on their shoulders and they're going to throw that off and reject you and say, who are you to judge me? And we're going to have to sit there and confess we are no more than sinners ourselves. It is the Holy Spirit that has to convict them. This is why we pray for the lost. We pray that the enemy who blinds the eyes of the world is rebuked, is silenced, and that the Holy Spirit is given sway to move in their life. That the Holy, that they become open to the Holy Spirit touching their life. Do you remember the time when you were content in your sin? Yeah, do you remember that time? Uh, do you remember a, a time even as a Christian when you were 
living your life and suddenly in a church service, suddenly reading the word, suddenly in a discussion with a group of people, the blinders came off of your eyes and you realized, I'm doing something wrong here. Has that happened to anybody besides me? And in that moment, you become convinced and you know, I've got to get this right. I've got to change. Two seconds before, you weren't. A minute and a half before, you'd have said, I'm doing great. Nothing wrong with the way I'm living. I'm doing just fine. And then suddenly, in the working of the Spirit of God in our life, the light comes on. The blinds are ripped off. I'll tell you what, with that understanding in my life today, it makes me walk humbly. It makes me walk fearfully. It helps me to walk less judgmentally because I know that there have been times when I've walked absolutely convinced I was okay and there were things that were not pleasing to God. Grateful for His grace. Grateful for His patience in my ignorance. But a day comes when He goes, no more of this. And I believe in that moment, a person has a choice. A person chooses in that moment to lean into that revelation of God or they choose in that moment to become calloused and hard in their spirit. And I would warn you, that is a dangerous, dangerous place to live. Now, as we understand that about ourselves today, realize this, there are friends and others who are blind today. They're blind. They're, they're, still, they're still content in that sin and, and God is being patient with them. Some of them are far from God and never received Christ in their life and we need to be praying for them that God will open their eyes so they'll see the light of the gospel. We need to be clear with our lives. There are others who are believers who are growing and being developed in God but they've still got some rough edges around them. And we need to remember, we probably do too. We probably do too. So we're patient. We're loving. We're kind. And when the door opens, we speak clearly. And let the Holy Spirit begin to do a work that convinces them and moves them to be changed. Now here's the part of the work in all of this that is really exciting The Spirit is a comforter. So the Spirit at first admonishes us. And we feel this admonishing of the Spirit that we are sinners. Then he convinces us that what we're doing is reprehensible, is wrong. And then he reveals the answer. He gives the solution. He tells us and reveals to us that the answer is Jesus. It's not how much work you're going to do. You can't clean yourself up. 
You can't straighten up your past. It is a part of what you were. But the blood of Christ can come and cover it all, wash us clean, make us whole. For we stand before him wholly forgiven because of the work of Jesus. It's why we should come into God's house every Sunday and worship him with joy and excitement because we have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? When we realize that work, when we, are, we realize that we've been admonished by God and we know that what we deserve is separation from him and he convinces us that what we have done is so wrong that we're embarrassed to even be around the people maybe that have, we were a part of that with and we feel like we owe a debt to them to, to apologize and to get it right. And then he reveals to us that, and we know we can never get it completely right, but then he reveals to us the answer in Jesus. That is a great moment and one that we should keep close to our heart. However, I would tell you, the comfort does not come for just a moment. The Holy Spirit has an ongoing work in our lives. And, and we want to take a, a brief look at some of that tonight, and we want to begin to invite uh, the Spirit into our lives. There are three baptisms that you need to be aware of in Scripture. In Matthew 28, 18, it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here's one of these baptisms. It's baptism in water. When a person has come to Christ, the call of the church and the obedient response of the believer is to follow the Lord in water baptism. We did water baptism this last week. We believe water baptism is an act of obedience. It is a declaration to our flesh. We come as serious followers of Christ and we make a declaration to our flesh, you have died, I now live for Jesus. You're not in control anymore. Jesus is in control. It's a declaration, a spiritual declaration to our flesh that we have been buried and are risen in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? This is why we tell you, if, this, if you were baptized when you were a baby, your parents did a very nice thing for you, but now that you have yourself become a follower of Christ, you need to be baptized in water. It is a baptism, water baptism, is a declaration to the world. It is a declaration to the people in our fellowship. I am now telling you all, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm, I'm in. My life now belongs to him. I'm a follower of Christ. Now listen, 
It's also a declaration to the spiritual forces in the heavenlies. God who watches all, the spiritual forces around, we have now made a declaration. You've now entered into the spiritual struggle. You said, I've died to myself, and I'm going to live for Christ. The Bible tells us angels camp around about us. That Bible tells us there are spiritual forces of the enemy that try to come against us, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have the help of, of all these helpers that stand against the enemy. So water baptism should be done seriously with consideration of our declaration that we have died to ourselves and pledged ourselves to the cause of Christ. This is one of the reasons why I personally believe, and we don't, we don't stop children from being baptized, but I'm always more comfortable when a, children, when a child has been through a few years of puberty and growing up a little bit for them to be able to make a declaration that they're really a follower of Christ. I've seen them do it at seven or eight years old and live for God all their life, and I've seen them do it at seven or eight years old because mom and dad told them it was a good thing to do, and they didn't really understand it. This is a declaration we want them to understand. We believe a spiritual work is done in this physical act. You understand there are things that, that we do in the flesh that are gateway things into the spiritual realm. You understand that? When we sing praises to God, do you understand that? And, and the Spirit begins to move in our life. It's a gateway. It opens the door of our heart, opens our life. When we pray, we open the door of our heart to, the, to spiritual things. This is why there are some things you don't want to do because they open spiritual doors to things you don't. Pornography opens spiritual doors to things you don't want to open spiritual doors to. Drunkenness opens spiritual doors to things you don't want to open spiritual doors to. You know, you start playing with, with uh, you know, uh, palm readers or any of those kind. You begin to open spiritual doors to things you don't want to open spiritual doors to. There are things we do in the physical that open spiritual doors. One of them, when, we lift, when you lift your hands to God, when you bow before God, just as if you would bow before an idol, you open a spiritual door to that idol. There's some music that opens spiritual doors. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. It, it, it breeds lust in our spirit. It breeds things in us. And so we want to stay away from those things, and we want to open our, we want to be sure when we're opening that spiritual door, we're opening it the right way. So when we open, when we begin to worship God, and, and before long you're worshiping God, and all of a sudden your spirit feels refreshed. All of a sudden you were hopeless a few minutes before, and now you're feeling hope. All of a sudden joy is beginning to move in your life that you didn't have a few moments ago. All of a sudden you begin to feel more convicted of some things and more convinced of something. Why? You've opened a spiritual door. And the Spirit's moved in your life, 
And so this is why I tell you, you know, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling overwhelmed, you know what you need to do. You need to go down and pray. You need to go worship God a little bit. Shut, go, go down in your basement, go back in your bedroom, shut the door, and just say, God, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little honked off today. I'm ticked off. I know that's not the way you want me to be. So I'm going to worship you for a while. Because what are you doing? You're opening a spiritual door for the Spirit of God to move in your life. So, and this is the same thing with, with baptism. Baptism opens a spiritual door for God to move in your life. I would tell you, you've talked about this in the last few weeks, receiving communion opens a spiritual door in your life. There's a spiritual thing. That's that. And when we take communion and we are living in known sin that we are being convicted about, we are being reproved about, and we are convinced is wrong, but we're doing it anyway because we like it, and we receive communion, and we say that Jesus is our Lord. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, there's some of you have gotten sick because of this. Some of you, some people have fallen asleep because of this. Because they've, they've done something in an unworthy way. That doesn't mean we have to be perfect. But it means that if we're knowingly resisting God in some way and then declaring God, we've opened a spiritual door to something really bad. Are you with me tonight? Is this clear? In this baptism, a minister, a person, baptizes in water the new believer. All right, let's go on. I want to go quickly here. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, through, though many, are one body. So he's talking about our physical body. There's many members. Members of the body, though are many, were one body. So it is with Christ. We're all one body. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We were all made to drink of the one spirit. Galatians 3. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, talking about the law. For in Christ Jesus, you are sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Baptism, too, is baptism into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit convicts us, and we are drawn to a decision. Now, some believe that there's irresistible grace. It means grace comes on us, the grace of God, and it's irresistible. You can't help it. Now, I don't believe that. I don't argue with people who do, uh, but I, 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 I don't agree with that. I, I believe we can resist the Spirit. But be sure of this. It is the Spirit that draws us. It's the Spirit that woos us to Him. And when we open our hearts by believing that Jesus is risen and accepting Jesus as Lord, 
the Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. And we become members of the body of Christ. We are the, we are the same. This membership in the, in the body of Christ is universal. It trans, transitions all, transis, all time and space. We are all part of the body of Christ. In this baptism, the Holy Spirit baptizes the new believer into the body of Christ and we are born again. If you're born again, you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've called upon his name, this is what's happened to you. It happens by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's go on. Matthew chapter 3. I baptize you with water. This is John talking. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Mark chapter 1, verse 7. And as he preached, again, this is John saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 3. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 1 John, or John 1, 33. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is baptism three. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. This declaration, this same story, is told in all four Gospels. It was a common and expected part of new believers' lives in the New Testament. The purpose of this baptism is power and fire. This is why we should seek the Holy Spirit. It's why we should open our heart to Him. Power, first of all, as, as we'll look in the next couple weeks, power to do the work of God. Because as we talked last Sunday, unless the Spirit empowers us, all of our testimony, all of our work, I, you know, I step into this pulpit every time I step in with this understanding. I can get up here and tell you wonderful things unless the Holy Spirit brings it to bear. There's no fruit. There's no fruit. Power comes by the power of God. Fire to purify our lives on an ongoing basis. The sanctifying work of the Spirit that we will talk about later. Now, who was this gift promised to? In Luke chapter 10, verse 20 says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is way before He's talking to them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's telling them, your names are already written in heaven. They were already, they'd already put their faith in Jesus and were born again. That's already happened. But later he tells them, 
that they need to wait for the Holy Spirit. So this is the men and women who had walked in close communion with Jesus and whose names were already in the book of life. So we look in, in Acts chapter 1. The emphasis in Acts chapter 1 was not on regeneration. It was not on being born again. The emphasis in, in Acts chapter 1 is on power. We'll talk more about this in the weeks to come. And this baptism, listen, Jesus is the baptizer, and we are baptized into the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of that baptism is that we will have power to do his work, and we will have the fire of the Spirit to purify and cleanse our lives. So how do we receive this baptism? At the end of the book of Luke, they returned to Jerusalem with joy. They returned with expectation. Jesus has told them to go back and wait until the Spirit falls on them. So with joy and expectation and with worship, they go back to Jerusalem and they wait. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the rest of the story when the Spirit falls on them. Now, I want to point a couple of things out to you. Every time in the New Testament, they knew this had happened. The apostles knew this had happened because they, the people were there spoke in tongues. Every time in the New Testament. You can't find a time anywhere in the New Testament where one of the apostles will say, oh, you're spirit-filled, and he doesn't say, oh, it's happened just like it did to us. It's happened it's just like it happened to us. You have the same thing we have. They will ask, what baptism were you baptized into? And they'll say, oh, we were baptized into John's baptism. Oh, you need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be baptized in the Spirit. Every time. So, you say, well, I come from a tradition where that's not really necessary, that's not really important. You come from a tradition of the Word. Look in the Word and see how important the apostles thought this was. Now, this has gotten a bad rep because people have abused this for their own glory instead of God's glory. And we'll talk more about that in the next few weeks. So I'm going to wrap this up with this. This didn't happen because a bunch of people got around them and beat on them. Are you hearing me? This didn't happen because somebody was shouting in their ear so loudly, screaming into their ear that they couldn't hear what they were saying. This didn't happen because they got held in a room and couldn't get out because five people had them cornered. This didn't happen because somebody gave them some word to say over and over again until they began to do something. They just worshiped God. Or when the apostles went out, they simply laid their hands on people. It wasn't a big scene. It wasn't some sweaty mess of a thing. 
It was just people opening their heart to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit moved in their, in their life. One of our young ladies, I don't know if she may be here tonight, I'm not sure, came to us a couple of weeks ago and just said, a uh, person doesn't come from this kind of tradition at all, this kind of church background at all. And she said, Sunday, a couple of weeks ago, Dan just gave room in the service. Hey, let's just worship God here for a moment. And she said, I was filled with the Spirit. I was just filled, just standing right here in the service, I just filled with the Spirit. Tell me more about this. Well, see, I believe that th- this is what God wants to do in our lives. So, we're going to do this tonight. We're just going to come up around the altar. Dan's going to come. And we're going to take about a, it's not going to be more than eight minutes, nine minutes. And I just want to invite you to just worship God. I know there's many of you in this room, you've, you've received this baptism in your life. But maybe there's a few of you that haven't. And if you haven't, my prayer is that tonight or next week or the week after, sometime the weeks ahead, that you'll see this and become convinced by the Spirit, hey, this would be a good thing for me. And we're going to talk to you more about how, what, what this gift of the Holy Spirit is for in our life in the weeks ahead. But I just want to encourage you, if you listen this night, if this sounds like the Word of God to you, uh, to just open your heart. And as we worship, if you sense the Spirit of God moving in your life, don't resist it. Amen? So let's stand. Let's come down around the altar. We're going to take about eight minutes and worship God and uh, let the Spirit move in people's lives. And uh, just open your heart to Him and let Him touch you. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful for you. We're so grateful that you've convicted us of sin. We're so grateful that you fill us with new fruit in our spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're so grateful that you gift us to be used of you. And we are so grateful that you can guide us even in our prayers and direct us even in the way we pray. We're so grateful for the joy we sense when you sweep over us. We're so grateful for your presence and we're so grateful for your healing power. We're so grateful for you. And Lord, my prayer tonight is that Lord, without any man's glory, that you would just do your work in every one of our lives. That Father, we would just gently and yet powerfully sense your spirit sweep over us and move in us in Jesus' mighty matchless name we pray amen now listen if uh, before you go tonight if, if, if you've received this, this great gift I, I want to encourage you to exercise it to just learn to flow in it in your private time in your life just exercise if you, if you haven't don't feel beat up don't feel beat up just be open to the Spirit of God. Listen, 
Maybe you come from a tradition, again, where you were taught against these things and against some things. I I would just say, look in the Word. Struggle with the Word. Struggle with the Word. Look in the Word. What does the Word say? What does the Word tell us? And read the Word carefully. Read the book of Acts and look carefully and talk to some friends and, and, and look carefully. Read 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14 and read them and Kind of let them sink into your heart a little bit and read, you know, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 and see what it says in, in these passages and say, what is this in here? What's it saying? What, what is God saying to me? And, and then in life, just be open. I've known so many people, and I, this is one of the ways I, I love it when, it ha- when, when the Spirit moves on our lives, like this young lady in a church service where nobody was trying to get her to do anything or in home at night in prayer. Because when that happens, you know. You know nobody did that to you. Nobody whipped you up into anything. I, I fear whipping people up into these things. Because I feel like we can, there's, there's people who are susceptible to that, and I don't want to be a part of that. I just want the real work of the Holy Spirit to happen in our lives. Amen? Hey. We're going to try to be done by 8.15 every Wednesday night. So it's 8.18, so I'm three minutes late. (laughs) I love you. God bless you. Go in the name of the Lord, and may the Spirit of God be with you this week.